Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome the ketogenic nutritionist, Temple Stewart. protein for everything to function correctly your hormones to function correctly all of it and it's extremely satiating so that's another thing is it keeps you very very full for a very very long time and anyone who's as fasted or eaten a lot of protein knows i mean when you have a big steak it's really hard to eat an exorbitant amount of food and you certainly stay full for long periods of time and another thing to note is protein is typically perfectly packaged with just the right amount of fat and you look at nature and it was beautifully designed that way so that you're not ever having, you know, carbs, protein, fat, all in the same food item, except I guess breast milk. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you for pressing play today. Super grateful to have you. We have a fun conversation with Temple. She is doing incredible work out there. She has her own podcast called the Ketogenic Nutritionist Podcast. And wait until you hear her story. PCOS, skin issues, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Can you relate? Maybe you're going through something similar. She gained weight as a teenager had irregular monthly cycles or didn't have any monthly cycle, had skin issues, and her doctor said, hey, let's put you on birth control. That'll solve the problem. But as you probably could guess, it made things worse. And you're going to hear what that led to, Dr. Jason Fung's book, The Obesity Code, and why she decided, and while she was going to school, studying as a dietitian, nutritionist, um, how the what she was learning actually made things worse than how she had to do a complete 180. So it's a very inspirational share. She's going to get into PCOS, what the root cause of PCOS is. Also, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, how she was able to reverse it through food, through intermittent fasting, through lifestyle changes. We also get into why insulin resistance equals weight loss resistance. And by the way, I forgot to even share, when she was diagnosed with PCOS, her doctor said, well, you're never going to be able to have children. So, you know, when you're ready, we'll put you on a list and we'll think about, you know, donors, etc. But she now has a beautiful baby girl. This is exactly what happens when you become a three percenter and you refuse to give in to the medical model. And look, conventional medicine is needed sometimes. It saves lives. It's important for like emergencies and accidents. Thank God for that. But when it comes to your Nutrition and dietary changes and reversing metabolic disorders, uh, it's the wrong 
advice. And you're going to hear about three percenters versus the 97 percenters. We talk about that. You'll hear exactly what I mean. You're also going to hear how incredible her story is. So we also get into what to do when you experience a weight loss stall on keto, why she loves the carnivore diet and why she did 90 days of carnivore, which was a big contributor to healing her autoimmune. We get into intermittent fasting strategies for weight loss, why she believes protein is so important, especially for women. We also get into her favorite biohacking tools, continuous glucose monitor, checking your sleep, inflammatory markers, hormone markers to look at, and much, much more. You're going to love Temple. If you don't follow her already, make sure you do so. We'll put all of her information down below. Now, before I bring her on, I want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Dev Ken Design, titled Ben. Ben gives so much valuable information. I don't know if I'll be able to keep up, but damn it, I'm going to try. Also, if you have a question, he'll answer you in real time. That is correct. I think you're referring to my weekly live streams that I do on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Find me on any of those platforms. I do a Q&A. Uh, so thank you so much, Devkin, for listening to the show. You're, you're right. We do put out a lot of valuable information. I agree. And we are releasing a brand new episode here on the Keto Camp Podcast every Monday, every Wednesday, and every Friday. Three new episodes a week. I mean, what other podcast is doing that <laughs> to you know pat our back a little bit? But I'm so grateful for the amazing guests. I'm grateful for you all listening. And if you haven't left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review yet, please do so. Really helps the show grow. So just leave that rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. Temple Stewart is a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and health behavior change specialist. She currently lives on the west coast of Florida, the St. Petersburg area with her awesome husband, her beautiful daughter, and I believe she has two dogs. She's doing incredible work educating the world on the ketogenic lifestyle, carnivore, intermittent fasting. She specializes in helping women, and she also has an amazing history of pain to purpose. Here is Temple Stewart. Temple Stewart, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. This is exciting. We first saw each other in person back in Las Vegas at uh, the Las Vegas Keto Expo. We connected in person. I got to meet your, your family, your beautiful family. But I also saw you speak at the Keto Symposium virtual event with our mutual friend, Christina Hess, and you did a great presentation there. And you're doing incredible work teaching the world, especially women, how to do keto the right way, carnivore, intermittent fasting, et cetera. And we're going to get into all of that. So keto campers, stay tuned. But before that, I want you to share your story. You have an amazing, inspirational story where you struggled with your health, your weight, uh, skin issues, et cetera. So get into that and uh, how you overcame a lot of issues. Yeah. So really everything for me started when I was in college. I played soccer for my university and I, I considered myself relatively healthy. I mean, I was an athlete. I was working out, lifting weights, moderately paying attention to what I was eating. Uh, I thought it, I was doing the right thing, but then stuff just started to go downhill really quick. Um, and I mean, within a time frame of a couple months, I was losing hair. I was gaining weight rapidly. I was getting just all these symptoms that I just knew were not right. And so I went to the doctor and they were just kind of like, well, you're an athlete, you know, just here's some birth control, you know? And I feel mm. like a lot of women can resonate with that. Any symptoms and then they get thrown on birth control. And so 
and you didn't have any menstrual cycles at this time, right? Oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I missed that. Yeah, I was having no menstrual cycles. And if I did have them, they were very spotty, you know, irregular patterns. And so they, they gave me birth control and, and just chalked it up to, oh, you run a lot because you play soccer. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll use that. And so I finished out my career as a as an athlete, still using that as an excuse for not having a menstrual cycle and having all these different symptoms. And so I went to college to become a dietitian. So I moved to Florida um, to do my, my, my fellowship as a dietitian here at the VA hospital. And things were just getting progressively worse. And it was just uh, more weight was coming on. I was doing what I was taught in school, uh, what to teach clients to lose weight and patients to lose weight, typical eat less move more, you know, more vegetables, less fat, that thing. And it was just getting, getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I eventually I went to another endocrinologist and that was when I was diagnosed with both PCOS and Hashimoto's. And so I, I had, hadn't learned about either really in school. I hadn't learned about how to treat them or any alternative therapies or anything. And that's really, really what, what started me on my deep dive down this road is, is, an effort to heal myself. When I, when I was diagnosed with, with PCOS, they, they told me, you know, Temple, you're not going to be able to get pregnant. Come back when you're ready for a baby and we'll go ahead and get you started in fertility treatments. Nothing about anything. And so I was devastated. I really was. I thought I was healthy. I was an athlete. I thought I was doing everything right. And it was really a, a turning point in my, in my whole life, honestly, not just my career, but my whole life, because I was just so, I, I was devastated. Yeah, it's it's crazy how, well, first of all, when you were having no menstrual cycle or kind of a spotty cycle and you had all these hormonal issues, clearly, instead of the doctor saying, let's look at your hormones, let's see what's going on. Oh, here's a birth control pill and this should solve some of your acne issues or whatever kind of issues you were having with your skin. Same thing happened to my fiance. She was actually having heavy, really painful periods as a teenager. And her doctor said, oh, I could help with that. Let's get you on birth control, which is such a bad band-aid, which leads to other problems. So now you're going to school, studying to be a nutrition, a dietitian, excuse me, and your health is getting worse as you apply what you're learning in school. So you're seeing what's happening. You get diagnosed with PCOS and Hashimoto's, and then you came across a book by the amazing Dr. Fung and everything changed, didn't it? Yeah, it was, it was divine. It really was because that that was the kind of spark I had of like, oh, wow, there's, there's other things out there. Like I don't just have to follow the, the food pyramid or the my plate, whatever it was at the time. And, and it almost got me, it gave me hope, really. It gave me a hope that, oh, maybe I can fix this. Maybe I can kind of get myself out of this well that I found myself in. So yeah, that was a big turning point in my life. So you read the obesity code, which led to other books and other uh, types of research. So at what point did you say... What I'm learning in school is the exact opposite of what I should be doing. Yeah, that's a great question. So I applied what I learned in the obesity code, and then that led me down the hole of, of all the other resources. And the results were rapid. And you know how it works. And you see it in your and the people that work with you all the time. It's like you feel better in, in days, in days. And so I was just like fuel to the fire, right? So I was, I was watching myself change. And at the same time, mind you, I'm working in diabetes clinics. I'm working in bariatric surgery. I'm working on the cardiac ward at the hospital. And I'm watching complications of inflammation and insulin resistance. I mean, I mean killing people in the hospital. I was watching yeah. veterans just go through the, the thick of it. And so I'm, I'm healing. And so I started applying it with my patients in the VA hospital. And against, I mean, I didn't tell a soul because my coworkers would have been mortified, uh, fellow dietitians, but 
And then I started to see it in them. And, you know, these are 65, 70 year old men who've been struggling with their type two diabetes for their whole life. And they've been on, you know, the maxing out insulin levels, trying every oral medication in the book and, and their A1C is still climbing. And now they're getting complications of kidney failure and all of this. So I started applying it with them. Hey, let's lower your carbs. Let's take out some of these inflammatory foods. And again, I start seeing results. And so the real icing on the cake for me was when I was like really questioning what I had learned to, as a dietitian was when Verda Health did a study with veterans at my hospital and I enrolled several of the ones that I knew would be a great candidate. And every single veteran I enrolled either got off all diabetes and high blood pressure medications and or lost 30 to 70 pounds at the time of wow. the study. So I, at that point, it was just, there was no going back. It was like the light had turned on and I, I really, I couldn't do anything else but follow this route. That's incredible. Oh, that's so amazing. A perfect example of the body's capability to heal as, as long as you remove the interference. So for you, uh, Temple, you had PCOS and Hashimoto's. PCOS, I, I think a, a, many people know that it can be reversed and the majority of it is due to insulin resistance. It's very intertwined. But Hashimoto's is something that I, I think most people believe you, you cannot really reverse and, and overcome. So could you explain a little bit more about the Hashimoto's part? Yeah. So Hashimoto's thyroiditis is essentially an autoimmune disease. And a lot of times, and what, another thing people don't really realize is a lot of times these two go hand in hand. So oftentimes women with PCOS have some degree of hypothyroidism, which is almost always Hashimoto's. And so uh, what we do with Hashimoto's and, and the way that keto can be so helpful is it takes away a lot of the triggers of the immune system, essentially. Now, Hashimoto's was a little bit trickier than PCOS for me because I didn't realize all of the environmental pollutants and all of the contaminants in the water and things I was doing that aren't directly related to food. And so, and Hashimoto's, I mean, so many women struggle. If you just put the percentages of PCOS and Hashimoto's together, it's, it's astounding really. But yeah, so Hashimoto's took me a little bit longer to get into remission, but you know, the feelings of fatigue went away, the brittle nails, the dry skin, the hair falling out, the thinning eyebrows, all, I had all of it. And, and I was able to, to get that in remission and, and get rid of those symptoms. How long did it take before you started to see some of the improvements with your, with your Hashimoto's symptoms? Real, real improvements, I would say about three months from starting a real ketogenic diet. I think everyone who starts keto at first is doing it okay until they get better and better and better. And so it, it, I would say about three months later, I was like, okay, this is starting to feel better. And then my lab started reflecting that my TPO antibodies started to come down. My TSH was getting back in normal limits. And I was just really feeling a lot more energized. You know, when I was in the thick of Hashimoto's, I can remember getting off work. And mind you, I was 22 at the time, maybe 21 at the time. And I would come home from work at 4.30 and I would sleep till the next day. I was miserable and I, I've just gotten married and it's just, it's a hard way to live when you're, when your thyroid is, is not acting right. It's, it's a struggle. And you were able to, to give birth to a beautiful baby, right? But yeah, I did. And I, I contribute my pregnancy with her to, I call her my keto baby. She really was because I, I defied odds uh, with several things with my thyroid and PCOS with her. You did. It, it's inspirational for those listening and maybe you got that same diagnosis. Hey, you know, you have PCOS, we could help you manage it, but you're not going to be able to have kids. I mean, how dare a doctor play God, right? They, they, they have no idea how amazing the human body is. And you're a perfect example of, hey, you could overcome that. And there's two types of people in the world. The 97% of the population who get that diagnosis and they 
just, okay, give me the medication and they don't really make any changes. But then you have a smaller percentage, the three percenters who say, wait a minute, there's something I could do here and I'm going to go and heal myself. And this is not terminal. Your ability to help me is terminal and I'm going to go and heal myself. So I consider you, Temple, to be a three percenter because you went on to do that. And I think you're, you sharing that right now is going to inspire a lot of people who might be in that situation. Yeah. And you know, Ben, I really hope it does because as someone who's battled with infertility and, and are, are knew that that could be a thing. I mean, it's almost depressing. It's very, when people struggle for years and years and years to get pregnant and go through rounds and rounds of Clomid and, and IVF and all of these things, it, it weighs on your body. It weighs on your relationship with your spouse. It can really be a turning point, not in a good way in your life. And so I hope that anyone that's listening that has been told that they're not going to have a baby or, or have lost hope having a child uh, knows that there re- there absolutely is hope out there and and you can turn things around. Amen. Truth is, you cannot drug yourself to perfect health. It's not how it works. You make d- changes, lifestyle changes. So when you started keto, I think I, when I was studying for this, you started with a little bit of like a carnivore, animal based approach. Is that right? I did. Yeah, I went like full throttle, mostly because I was having a hard time. And I left this out at the beginning. I was really having some bad GI issues. I mean, my stomach, I was always bloated. I knew things were not right in terms of gut microbiota. Things were just not right. And so, yeah, I was like, you know what? I know what an elimination diet is. I'm just going to go to the extreme and do carnivore. And I did carnivore um, about a 90-day stint of it. Yeah, that was one of the reasons I think Hashimoto's went into remission because I literally, I went to the local butcher, I got good quality meat and and did carnivore, I did organ meats, I did the whole nine yards and I did and I felt great, honestly. It was was a really, really good time of my life and I think that's exactly what I needed to kind of pivot uh, into a more keto carnivore style of eating. When you did the 90 days of carnivore initially, so was it just like a level one or a level two with like all animal products or did you have some dairy and, and, and uh, eggs in it? Initially, I had dairy and eggs and I would get the face flushing, you know, when, you're, when a food doesn't react well with you. And I started to realize, oh man, my face is flushing. My face is getting hot. I'm, I, this must be a, some sort of sensitivity. So I did that and I took it away. I took a dairy and eggs away and I went straight, uh, just straight meat and organ meat. And that's when it really changed. And I felt better and my thought process was good. My stomach was incredible. I've never had that good of digestion in, I mean, months at that point. And so, yeah, I, I, I kind of went straight in. No cheeses, none of that. So That's awesome. I feel the best when I do carnivore as well. So how do you use carnivore now? Do you go back for like 30 days, 60 days? What do you, how do you use it right now? I've done it so many times I can kind of feel when I need to go back. And so I kind of base it on my body and the way that I'm feeling, if if I get any GI stuff, if, if things just aren't seemingly right, I tend to go back to carnivore. Even with mood stuff, if I notice that I'm getting a little stressed or maybe a little anxious or having a little bit of not necessarily depression, but more negative than positive, I go back to carnivore and typically it clears it up right away within days. And so I like to use carnivore with my clients as well. I do think we have to walk kind of a careful line because some some people feel that that would never be a long-term thing, but I think it's an incredible tool to use as needed. Agreed. And I love that you listen to your body and pay attention to what's going on. I kind of do the same with carnivore and carnivore could be so great for those who have autoimmune conditions, including Hashimoto's, because what it does, it gets rid of all of these plant toxins, these anti-nutrients and autoimmune will stem from 
gut dysbiosis. So by fixing or repairing the gut with carnivore, you help with the autoimmune disorder, right? So the, uh, the level of carnivore that you do will probably be determined by the level of severity of your autoimmune. Like for you, you had uh, the dairy and you had the eggs and it wasn't enough for you. You had to go a little bit more restrictive, which is level one. And then you got amazing results. And now you kind of go, go back to it, use it as a tool. I do the same thing. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to just pause for a second and tell you about my favorite drink for metabolic health. On this podcast, we talk about the importance of metabolic health, metabolic flexibility. Well, this is called Good Idea, and it is a great idea if you're trying to reduce blood sugar and keep your insulin levels in a healthy range. It has zero calories, zero sweeteners, and none of the junk ingredients, and it tastes like a lightly sparkling water. I call it a functional sparkling water because it has been clinically tested and shown to reduce blood sugar spikes after a meal. It contains a blend of amino acids and chromium piclinate. Together, they slow gastric emptying and increase insulin sensitivity, allowing a steady release of glucose in the bloodstream where it can be transferred into the cells for fuel. It also contains zinc and potassium as an added benefit. They hooked you all up with a special coupon code. So all you need to do is head over to goodidea.us and apply the coupon code BEN, that is B-E-N, at checkout at goodidea.us. I'm going to drop that link in the podcast notes along with the coupon code. All right, let's get back to this episode. Do you recommend, let's say somebody listening right now wants to either start keto again or start it for the first time. Do you recommend going into it with like a carnivore uh, animal-based approach or is that more so for somebody who has autoimmune disease? No, I think everyone can benefit from carnivore. I think a lot of people are suffering from something and don't realize it until they go carnivore. And they're like, whoa, Temple, I didn't even realize I was bloated or I didn't even realize that would clear up you know, lower back pain. I've heard it all with people that go carnivore. Um, so I think it just depends on the individual. I've had some clients that are like, absolutely not. That feels way too wrong. I don't think I'm ready for that. And that's fine. I'll take baby steps in the right direction all day. Um, but if I, if I have someone who's wanting to get into ketosis quickly, wanting to feel good, um, I, I suggest, Hey, try carnivore for a couple days, even with clients that I find are hitting plateaus are having some of those same symptoms where they're just kind of unexplainable. Let's try carnivore for a couple days and see how you feel. I love it. Such a great tool. Now let's talk a little bit about weight loss resistance. You've said, and I agree, insulin resistance equals weight loss resistance. So share a little bit more about that. Yeah. And I actually picked that up from Dr. Bickman. I think he's, he said any, everything and anything about insulin resistance first, right? But <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I, I don't think people make the connection often enough. The way that weight loss is portrayed, whether it's through the media, through doctors and health organizations, people don't understand that oftentimes what's causing the weight to stay on their body is, is due to insulin. I mean, it's our fat storing hormone. It's the primary driver of this. And so oftentimes I find myself explaining this to clients. Well, what's happening is, is insulin is too high and that's why you're struggling uh, to lose weight. And, you know, I get a lot of chronic dieters and I'm sure you do too, that have tried everything. Um, mostly, and they all end up lowering calories, right? But yeah, so I feel very passionate about uh, insulin and inflammation being the, the drivers of, of almost every single disease. And I want to get both of those down in my clients. And I believe that weight loss is typically a symptom, right? It usually comes after you heal your body. And I try to explain that most people come to me because they want to lose weight. And I try to explain, hey, 
I want you to lose weight, but we've got to fix these two first. That's right. That's the way it works. The body's not a bank account. Can't just create a math equation and expect to get the... Maybe in the beginning, you might lose some weight, but you're not getting healthy and the weight comes back and you do some damage to your point. So we don't want to necessarily lower calories. We want to lower insulin. And you could do that with a healthy ketogenic carnivore approach, intermittent fasting, et cetera. And I want to get a little bit more into intermittent fasting. But before we do transition there, what about somebody listening who has been doing keto for three or four months and they've lost 20 pounds, but now they've been at the same weight for a month? What are some strategies that you implement with your clients to overcome a keto weight loss stall? So it matters to me if, if it's, a, it's a woman or a man. And I like to know where uh, they are, if they're cycling, where are they in their cycle? Are they perimenopause? Are they postmenopause? Are they on HRT? There's a lot of factors when it comes to women and hormones that I like to take into consideration. And I say that because a lot of times I think sometimes carb cycling can be somewhat effective. Now, when I say carb cycling, I'm not talking about, um, you know, going and having a pint of Ben and Jerry's and calling that, right. you know, <laughs> complex carbs. And I think it can, that can sometimes help women depending on where they are in their cycle. Um, so I'll use that. Sometimes I'll switch up an intermittent fasting routine. Sometimes I've seen people just over fast and create like the HIPAA access to dysfunction. And so sometimes that is like, hey, you just need to chill. You're doing too much. Um, same thing with exercise. Sometimes I'll see women just, and I, and I commend them, not commend them for it, but I respect it because they're disciplined and they're getting in the gym, but sometimes you're just doing too much. And so I play with those three things, whether it's macronutrient manipulation, fasting, exercise. Um, I look at those things. And then sometimes we got to dig deeper. Sometimes we got to go get labs and look at what is happening with our hormones. Is there something with estrogen and progesterone? What What's going on? Uh, so those are kind of my strategies I use if, if someone's uh, struggling. And then I do like to look at environmental stuff too. Like, are you sleeping? Are you on your phone till 3 a.m. and you're not getting a good night's rest? Are you really, really stressed out and you don't even realize it? Is there, you know, I've gotten a lot of clients and under a lot of pressure, whether it's family or they work a really high stress job. And sometimes those are my hardest clients to get weight loss from because they're just constantly bombarded with stress. So I think it's important to look at sleep and stress as well um, when we talk about weight loss resistance. Absolutely. I agree. Sleep and stress, they're, they're foundational. Uh, and if you could address that, then everything will upgrade by default. But the opposite is, is also true. If you could be doing your keto perfectly, intermittent fasting perfectly, but if your sleep is crap, to your point, if you're on your phone till 3 a.m., it's going to be very hard because you're going to have higher levels of cortisol and glucose follows cortisol, insulin follows glucose, and you're just going to be storing fat even without changing necessarily your, your diet. Uh, so that is important. And I love that you addressed it differently for men versus women and also for women in different parts of their life. There, are, there is a time to have more carbs during their cycle versus a postmenopausal woman. So, so that's fantastic. Now, you mentioned fasting, intermittent fasting. Why do you love implementing intermittent fasting with your clients? And what are some of your favorite kind of schedules that you share for them to rotate in between? So, well, I love intermittent fasting for the benefits that it brings, it, of course, weight loss, but longevity, anti-aging, brain protect. I mean, I could go on and on about how intermittent fasting benefits the body. Uh, I think it's a great practice. I think that most people do better when they're low-carb keto and then go into intermittent fasting versus just trying to intermittent fast from a standard American diet. That's typically a disaster. I love. I think a lot of people do well starting off 16-8. If that's a little too much for you, we can go down on the time fasted. I like doing a couple days, 24 hours, 
during the week. I think people do good on that too. I've had people do alternate day fasting. And again, it kind of depends on where they are in their cycle, man or woman, all of that. Um, I've even seen longer fasts done quarterly, you know, 72 hour fast done quarterly. I think that kind of stuff works great. I mean, that resets your immune system, basically the whole thing. So you know, I like that too. Um, I, my biggest thing with intermittent fasting is I really encourage my clients to find what works for them because if I create a fasting schedule for you, but it like completely doesn't fit your family dynamics and it's a stressor and it's just not convenient, nine times out of the 10, they're going to fail, you know? And so I want to try to work with my clients of like, Oh, this may be a good idea. This may be not so much. I love to recently is having people fast dinner. I know fasting breakfast is a huge like popularity thing with intermittent fasting, but I've seen a lot of women do better. I feel like it helps with their cortisol levels and the metabolic benefits of fasting dinner seem to be better as well. So I think with intermittent fasting, the sky's the limit in terms of routines. Yeah, I love what you said about everybody's schedule is different. So if you recommend maybe skipping dinner, like you just said, which I think could be beneficial for a lot of people, but you have your family traditional dinner and it's going to get in the way and create an issue with your family and just being... Then that's probably not going to work for you, right? So then apply it to what's better for your schedule. So I love that you shared that. And I love that you also share different strategies. I'm a big fan of always mixing it up. Yeah, 16-8 is great. And if you're not familiar with what that is, I think most of you are, but six, I mean, 16 hours fasted, and then you have an eight-hour eating window and you have two or three meals in that window. So like 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. could be a, a good example of your eating window. That's a great strategy. And then some days, if you feel really good, you got good sleep, you go and complete a 24-hour fast. Or, or maybe you're stressed out and your sleep is crap and you don't fast. Would you agree with that? Oh, totally. And I'm a new mom. So I totally <laughs> struggle with sleep, you know? So yeah, I completely agree, Ben. Because it's it's a, it's a stress to the body. It, it, of course, it's a, it could be a positive stress. Your body will get stronger. But if you're already stressed out because you're a new mom and you don't get much sleep, then maybe it's not a good idea for you to do a 72-hour fast this week if you're not getting quality sleep. Yeah, and that just comes back to listening to your body and, and being aware of how you're feeling, what are your thoughts like, what are your physical symptoms, all of that. And you have an awesome Instagram. Uh, I love your reels and your graphic charts and, and all that good stuff. You always uh, do a good job at capturing my attention because I don't spend too much time consuming content. I, I distribute. But when I see yours, I'll stop and I'll, and I'll look at it and I'll read. So I wanted to acknowledge you for that. What is your Instagram handle for the audience? Yeah, it's the.ketogenic.nutritionist. And we'll put it down below. You primarily focus on, on women, although I'm sure you have males who come to you and you help them out, but you're, you're primarily helping women out there. But question I have for you in regards to women, and I know you think protein is of high value on keto, carnivore, whatever you're following. So how much protein do you recommend for your clients and why do you emphasize protein so much? Yeah. And you know, I'll tell you, I learned in school, very low limits for calculating protein needs. And I learned it all, you know, calculating needs for a burn victim, for wounds, surgical healing, all of that. And the more that I dig, the more I realized, Ooh, this is really, really low. Most people recommend starting at 0.6, which I don't go there. The lowest I typically go with, with a woman is 0.8 or 0.9 grams per kilogram of body weight. Typically, I get a little higher, depends on the activity levels and things like that. But I will say this is I do not believe the general guidelines are, are very good on this. I think that they're way too low for the majority of people. And I also think, Ben, that the, a lot of nutrition problems that we see snacking at night, snacking in between meals, hungry here, 
cravings could be solved if we met our protein needs. So I'm really passionate about that because the majority of time uh, I see women under eating protein and it's almost like there's a fear around it because of maybe the fat it contains or the meat fear. Um, but yeah, I, I hope that answered your question, but I, yeah. I, I like to stay on the higher end of the recommendations for sure. Me too. And you know, animal, to your point, animal-based protein is different than plant-based protein. We, we want that protein to come from complete protein, like animal-based protein. Yep. And uh, I agree, the re- recommendations out, out there on protein are low. Yep. And people, I think you're right, they're scared of eating like too much red meat or too much fat. But also, I think there's in the keto space, there's a, they're scared because it'll turn into too much glucose via gluconeogenesis and nocomaticatosis. And I used to actually believe that and teach that several years ago and say, you know, modify your protein, keep yeah. it medium to low. But I, I, I've seen that's not the case. Have you seen the same thing? Yeah, totally. And I even get comments like this on some of my videos, like, oh, I can't go over this. It's going to turn to sugar. And it's like, you're kind of missing the point. But yeah, and I, and I have seen the keto community switch. At first, it was that fear of protein that we were talking about. Now it even seems to be coming back to like a little bit of a fear around fat. But yes, I, I would I would echo what you just said. I think that I've seen the same thing. So if you're recommending that amount of protein and somebody's doing OMAD on some days or even two meals and they're having a hard time hitting that protein requirement that you're recommending, what are some tips? I get that question a lot. So what would be your tip for that for those people? Well, the majority of if you're doing OMAD, the majority of your meal has to be animal protein. I mean, there's really no way around it. You can't be having a whole plate of salad and expect to get anywhere near your protein goals if you're especially if you're doing one to two meals a day. Most of most people I see do one to two meals a day. So yeah, you have to prioritize that needs to be the first thing you eat so that you don't get full and brush it away. Um, And choosing, just like you said, complete sources of protein. Like this is not where we're doing beans, even though that's not super keto friendly or even nuts and seeds. Like I want, you know, a good quality red meat, fatty meat, eggs, et cetera. Um, It's just going to have to make up the the bulk of your meal. Bone broth is great too, to sip on. So I think that would be my biggest advice with with someone doing OMAD. So if they're doing OMAD, but they're, let's say they did the calculation and they're required to get 120 grams of protein each day. How are they going to get that in one meal? That's the challenge. So how would you coach that person? Yeah. So maybe I would suggest having like one meal, but maybe a snack beforehand. I mean, we could get into protein shakes, although I like most of my meals coming from food. I don't know, Ben, what would you tell them? Yeah, it's tough. I would tell them, first of all, I would find out if they're obese, right? If they're obese, then they could get away with a little bit less protein, let their body kind of eat away at some bad protein, if you will. I would do what you just said. I would say, okay, well, it's okay maybe on some days to be below that limit, but on most days, let's hit that limit. If you're having a hard time hitting it with one meal, then have two meals and have that meal come from a protein shake, like you said, because it's an easy way to digest it. Just make sure it's a quality brand. So there's a couple of ways to tackle it, but that's a challenge for some people when we when we offer this recommendation, they're like, wait a minute, but I don't eat enough meals to get that in there. So I think that's how we would handle it. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I do think, yeah, busting through that fear of eating red meat is like step number one. <laughs> you know, you've got to be able to eat a big fat steak and be okay with it. Yeah, it's so delicious too. I know. And you made the point that one of the biggest contributors that that result to people grazing and eating or feeling like they need to eat between their meals is because they're not eating enough protein. So maybe you could share a little bit more about why protein is so 
satiating and, and filling to the human body? Yeah, well, there's a couple reasons. One, I mean, it's basically the building block for everything. It's really the only macronutrient that you cannot literally cannot live without, you know? And so you have to have a certain degree of protein for everything to function correctly, your hormones to function correctly, all of it. And it's extremely satiating. So that's another thing is it keeps you very, very full for a very, very long time. And anyone who's as fasted or eaten a lot of protein knows, I mean, when you have a big steak, it's really hard to eat an exorbitant amount of food. And you certainly stay full for long periods of time. And another thing to note is protein is typically perfectly packaged with just the right amount of fat. And you look at nature and it was beautifully designed that way so that you're not ever having you know, carbs, protein, fat, all in the same food item, except I guess breast milk and milk. That's it. You know? Yeah, but, but that's because at that point, they want the baby to grow and grow. We don't want that as an adult. Yeah. No, no. And so I think that that's another aspect of it. But really, people have got to understand that it really is the building block for all aspects of life. And so I think that and it's satiating effects, and then just the the sheer um, way that it helps support hormonal regulation with leptin and ghrelin, etc. So those are the primary reasons I think. You're so right. You think about going to a restaurant and ordering like a 16 ounce steak, let's say it's a ribeye and you eat that and you're on your last bite. You're like, I'm so stuffed. And they come and they bring you another ribeye. It's on the house. You're like, there's no way I could eat that. But they bring you dessert. It's like, oh, I could have that because it doesn't activate the same hormones and chemicals. So big difference between those two. What I love about your work, Temple, and what you do for your community and your patients and clients is yeah, they'll probably come to you and say, I need to lose 30 pounds, I need to lose 80 pounds, 100, whatever it is. But then you'll reframe that their mind and that thought process of losing weight to, okay, let's get healthy and let's find out why right now you're not as healthy as you should be. And you start looking at the hormones, you start looking at insulin, you start looking at their lifestyle. So if you could just elaborate a little bit more, because a lot of people who are doing keto, they're using only one metric to see if keto is working for them. And that metric is the scale. And why does that set us up for failure? Oh, I get really passionate about this because a lot of this is what I was taught in school is how to make people lose weight and how to judge it. And a lot has to do with BMI, which I think is absolute trash. Just being bogus. And so the scale, same thing. And women, I mean, you can fluctuate, what, eight pounds to something insane in just terms of hormonal water weight gain when you cycle through your period. And so, and I think people get so attached to the scale because a lot of the society is is around thinness. So some of the metrics I love to see in my clients is is fasted insulin, C-peptide, HSCRP for inflammation. I like to see what uh, females' hormones are doing, whether they're out of balance or there's estrogen dominance or something happening there. I like to just judge on how people feel. You know, what? how do you actually feel? Are you functioning day to day? Are you able to play with your kids? Are you able to, you know, feel good in the afternoons? Do you sleep well? So I think there's a lot of those type of components you have to look at too. How do you feel like digestion's going for you? Are you having regular bowel movements? You know, how is your skin feeling? Is your hair falling out? There's just, I mean, hundreds probably of metrics we could use to judge real health by. And the scale is oftentimes like way, way, way down the list for me. And so those, I mean, we could go on and on about blood markers, but those are just some of the things that I like to hear my clients saying. And the beautiful thing about keto, and I know you hear it all the time, is like they come to us for weight loss and then they leave feeling more energized, better sleep, less stress, more stable, depression goes away. And you're just like, it's just a fantastic way to leave a client is feeling better than they ever thought they could. 
So true. And you're, you're right. That, that number on the scale, it's a liar. There's so many other more important metrics. So I love that you focus on lab work, fasting insulin, how you feel, digestion. You know, are you able to play with your kids with energy? Are you able to go through the day without having to take naps? You mentioned going to bed at 4.30, I think you said, and waking up the next day. I mean, that's a sign that something is wrong. Even if you're losing weight, if that's, you're having that, there's something that needs to change there. So I love that. Now, as, as far as like metrics, right? Yes, the scale is one metric. It's not an important marker. Lab work, great metric. You mentioned a few markers there, especially some of the hormonal stuff. Are there any other metrics you would recommend like body fat percentage or maybe like an aura ring looking at some of the sleep data, anything like that? Oh yeah. So aura ring, I love, I love CGMs. I think CGMs, mm. I think every person on the planet should wear a CGM at least one point in their life. Uh, I like the hip ratio to just kind of calculating what's going on viscerally. I think body fat percentage is a good one. A, you know, DEXA scan, those types of things. HDL triglyceride ratio is another really good marker. I mean, you're the biohacking man. What else would you add to that list? Yeah, the CGM, like you said, is probably the, the most important thing we could all use. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to use it for months, but maybe just a couple of like cycles, which is 28 days, or maybe just one cycle, 14 days, just to get a good idea. Because it's giving you con it's a continuous glucose monitor, if you're not familiar with that term, but it's giving you 24-7 look at your glucose. And it's showing you what your sleep does to your glucose for it versus against it, what stress does, what that argument did you, with your husband or wife did to it. Even foods that are keto-friendly that you might have a sensitivity to. Like to your point, you were doing those foods, but you were still bloating, even though they were keto-friendly foods. So that might spike your glucose and you could identify what's exactly going on. So I love a CGM. Is, uh, which ones have you used in the past? So I've used NutriSense. I've also just gotten my doctor to write me a script for Freestyle Libre. So that, that's been good. But yeah, I, I've used those two. I haven't used Levels yet. Maybe one day um, I'll use Levels. I know that's a really big one as well. Yeah, they're both great. I've used both NutriSense and Levels and I love them both. Sometimes at night, right before bed, my mind is just racing. I have problems that I need to solve, ideas I want to put into action, content I want to create. And I know you can relate. The mind just keeps racing, but I want it to calm down for some sleep, quality sleep. One of the things that I did to really overcome the mind racing at night is two things. Number one, something called a mental dump. It's not as gross as it sounds. I would just write down on a piece of paper what's on my mind. So if it's a problem, I'll write it down. If it's an idea, I'll write it down. I'll take it from the mind, from the brain, to a piece of paper. And then I combine that with the second solution, which is taking a high-quality magnesium supplement. And they're not all the same. For me, it's magnesium breakthrough. And since I have implemented mag breakthrough, now I have no problem falling asleep. These two solutions work really, really well. Unlike other magnesium supplements that might be giving you maybe one to two forms of magnesium, Mag Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium designed to help calm your mind, help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Over 75% of the population is magnesium deficient. And what most people don't know is that even when they're taking a magnesium supplement, they could still be deficient because they're not getting all seven forms. This is where Mag Breakthrough is the ultimate way to give your body all seven forms in one supplement. 
for an exclusive offer to all Keto Camp Academy listeners. Head over to magbreakthrough.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code KETOCAMP10 at checkout. You'll save 10% off this all-natural, full-spectrum magnesium supplement. We'll drop the link down below in the podcast notes. That is magbreakthrough.com slash ketocamp, and the coupon code is KETOCAMP10. So what would you recommend... Let's say somebody wants to go through their insurance or they want their doctor to write a prescription because there's a lot of barriers to it even to this day. So how would you coach somebody to have the conversation with their doctor? Oh, find the right doctor first. A lot of them will shut you down really quick. Oh, you don't have a diagnosis. You can't get a CGM. They can find a way. Nine times out of ten, I mean, there's usually at least a way or, or something they can do diagnosis-wise that they can get you a CGM, even if it just means jumping on the phone with the insurance company. The doctor should be willing, in my opinion, to do so. I've had great luck with uh, naturopaths and and more holistic homeopathic physicians doing that for me. Um, So I would just say, uh, bring it to them and say, hey, I really am interested in the way that food impacts my blood glucose levels. And this is especially important if you're already pre-diabetic or diabetic or PCOS, you already know there's some insulin resistance happening and say, I'm really interested in this. Can you please help me work with my insurance to get this, even if it's just a month? You know, you don't have to get it a prescription for a year. Just try to get, like you said, two trials of it is, is usually a 28-day cycle. And I would just be open and honest with your doctor. And in my opinion, if a doctor shuts you down or isn't even willing to have the conversation with the insurance company, you might think about finding someone who is um, and who's a little bit more preventative and proactive about keeping you healthy. That's right. You know, if your doctor's not open to having the conversation with you, find another doctor. They're out there. They're willing to help you. There's nutritionists, there's dietitians. I would also add to that, uh, tell them that you have diabetes that runs in your family. They don't have to they don't have to even fact check that or verify that and you're worried about it, you want to be proactive. And if you do all that and you're still having the barriers, then you might want to find a new doctor or that's what, you know, NutriSense and Levels have made it accessible. Yeah, you have to pay if your insurance doesn't want to cover it, but you're just going to pay for a couple of cycles. And if you want to learn more about that, those two companies, we did interview them before. Just look in our catalog. We had Casey Means from Nutri- uh, from Level, excuse me. And then we had um, Kara Collier on the KetoCamp podcast from NutriSense. So both are great. And we'll put both of those links down below. So I love that. And do you have an aura ring yourself, Temple? Or, or what do you use to track your sleep? So I had an aura ring uh, for a little bit, but then I did it. I wasn't good with it because my fingers were swelling. So anyway, I, I used it for a little bit. My sleep was good. And then I had a baby. And it's honestly a little depressing when you track your sleep when you have a baby <laughs> because there's just nothing you can do, Ben. You got to get up and feed the baby. So I have put my aura ring on pause um, until I get a little bit more of a rhythm. Because, you know, if you're like us, when you care about those kind of metrics and it's just absolutely disastrous, you're like, okay, but there's nothing you can do, right? Baby is. Yeah. Yeah. One of my best friends, she just had a baby two years ago, but. She told me exactly what was happening. And now she just got an aura ring and she's starting to look at the data. But now it's two years later. So her sleep is a little bit better. You know, on this topic, because I get to ask this a lot, I'm sure you do too. Let's start with the, the woman who is looking to get pregnant. So she's working on it. Can she do keto and intermittent fasting? Will it help? Will it work against them as they're trying to get pregnant? And then once she gets pregnant, what should she change? And this is not medical advice, maybe what you did personally. Yeah, so absolutely. In my opinion, absolutely. Typically, well, one, PCOS is the most common cause of infertility. The most common cause of PCOS is absolutely insulin resistance. So you just take those two factors right there. 
keto can improve both of them. There is studies, although they all are mostly small with people that have PCOS following a ketogenic diet, but some have to drop out because they get pregnant. So yeah. like, it, there is good stuff, but you know, it's unethical to do research on a pregnant woman in that way. But yes, my answer to this is always yes. We know we don't have a ton of evidence in terms of, of pregnancy, but we do have a ton of evidence in terms of gestational diabetes. And I always bring this into the conversation because PCOS women are at a much higher risk for gestational diabetes and going low carb and, and, and keto and in, intermittent fasting when you're trying to get pregnant is absolutely safe if you're doing it in a nourishing way. If you're relying on all the garbage keto packaged junk and all of that inflammatory food processed stuff, that is not ideal. You have to focus heavily on fatty meats. I would strongly suggest a variety of organ meats if you can, even if you're rounding them up into your burgers or whatever. But lots of healthy fats and lots of protein. But I, I don't mean to go on a rant here, but yes, I am passionate about this. I think it's absolutely safe if done in a safe way. I think when you get pregnant, you really have to focus and make sure you're getting the right nutrients. But there was a study that just was released. And Ben, you may know the, the guidelines on this, but I believe it was 100 grams. They studied women uh, all the way down to 100 grams of carbohydrates, and it was completely safe for the woman. Mm -hmm. And if you know the, the guidelines now, it's, it's astronomical, the amount of carbs that they recommend for pregnant women. I think it's like 350 or three. Yeah. It's something really, really way too high, especially for women at risk for gestational diabetes. So what I did personally was I followed keto and intermittent fasting, and I ate a variety of, of organ meats, meats, and different foods for the nutrients. And then um, I intermittent fasted. When I found out I was pregnant, I listened to my body. I fully believe that your body is not going to do you wrong or tell you, you know, to eat when it's not ready or to not eat when it's when it's hungry. And so I did that. I ate when I was hungry, uh, even through the first trimester, second trimester, and I'm focused on protein. Now, what about you gave birth now and you're, you're breastfeeding now, what would be the general guidelines there? Yeah. So, well, there are no general guidelines just from a scientific, you know, evidence anecdotally uh, in one over here. Um, there actually, there was a couple cases where someone did get ketoacidosis while they were breastfeeding. Very rare, not likely to happen. And I'll find the study for you when we get off and message it to you. But Overall, I, I believe for the majority, it's safe as long as you're being mindful of your supply. And that's yeah. the number one thing I tell women is like your job when you have give birth is not to lose the baby weight as quick as possible. That is just not it, especially if you're trying to breastfeed the baby because you you can kill your supply going too low. And sometimes even intermittent fasting can cause some issues with your supply. So that is the biggest thing is, hey, we can get the weight off, but just make sure your milk supply has come in, come in correctly and baby is, is full and hungry. And then another thing is, is what you eat matters to the composition of your breast milk. So you really need to make sure that you're eating again, back to the fatty meats and the heavy, heavy in protein. And, and the variety is so crucial because I mean, you may have milk, but if it's poor quality milk, baby's still not going to be nourished. Yeah. So that's, that's my thoughts there. I intermittent fasted. Again, I listened to my body. I never ignored a hunger cue and I still have, and I'm still breastfeeding. So I don't ignore hunger cues. If I, if I don't feel like eating, I won't eat, but if I do feel like eating, I will eat. So I think again, it comes back to really listening to the individual. Mm, great advice. And I know that's a popular question. So hopefully that helps those mothers out there or expected mothers out there. I love that you teach to listen to your body and we're designed. Every single cell is designed to fast and to feast. Sometimes you need more feasting than fasting and sometimes it's the other way around. A perfect example, I was just in, we were just talking offline. I was just in Tulum, Mexico for four days. 
I ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I probably ate like, I don't know, six to 8,000 calories a day. Like I feasted and that's very unlike me. And, and that's fine. I enjoyed myself. And now I'm, I haven't ate today. I'm back to fasting. I'm going to go 24 hours. I mean, that's the cycle. But of course, it's going to be different for you who are pregnant and, and, and breastfeeding, but pay attention to the cues. So I love that you teach that. Where can the keto campers check you out? Mention your Instagram again, and then mention any other platform you want them to go check you out. I know you have an awesome podcast as well. Yeah, I do. I have a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the whole thing at The Ketogenic Nutritionist. And then I'm on TikTok. I never thought I would say that, but I am there at The Ketogenic Nutritionist there too. Um, so TikTok, all the things, Instagram, Spotify, all the same name. Yeah, uh, TikTok is a interesting world, isn't it? <laughs> I feel like it's a little more hostile on TikTok. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I get the most hate on TikTok versus anywhere else. Yeah. I know. Um, well, I'm glad I'm not the only one then. You're not. No, it's not because it's just the, the nature of it. But then there's people who resonate with it and, and you're going to help people. So it's all worth it. It's all part of the plan. And uh, we'll put all of your handles down below. I'm not sure if I'm following on TikTok, but I'll do it here after uh, we sign off. But uh, Temple, thank you for coming on the Keto Camp Podcast, for the work that you're doing. I'm sure that we're going to see each other in person at some conferences this year. There's a lot lined up this year. And uh, just continue to shine. And whatever I can do to support your mission and message, I'm always here. So thank you so much for coming on the show and for the work that you're doing in this world. Yeah, thank you, Ben. And thank you to the Keto Camp listeners. You guys are great. And uh, it's been my pleasure. So thanks again. I hope you enjoyed that fun awesome, incredible conversation with Temple. Go follow her on Instagram, TikTok, etc. Her website is templestewardrd.com. We'll put, the, we'll put all that down below, including those two episodes we did with Levels Health and NutriSense. If you want to learn more about the CGM, we'll drop that down below. Go follow her. Go check her out. Send her a message. She's very accessible. And maybe you'll see her in person at a conference coming up this year. There's several conferences. So I hope this is valuable. Please share this episode with somebody you know who has PCOS, Hashimoto's, somebody who you believe could really get value from a conversation like this. Let's change the world. Copy and paste the link. Put in a text message. Post it on your social media. Tag us both on that social media post. When I say both of us, I mean Temple and myself. And please leave the show a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to today. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode. I'll see you in the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.